Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Good morning. How are we all? All good? Yes? We have a few people to welcome this morning, so we'll give Marks for who's traveled the furthest. We'll start with Elin, who's come all the way from Sweden. Elin, if you want to stand up and wave. Woohoo! There we go. Elin was part of Exchange. A number of years ago, she was over in Belfast studying at the Andrew Womack Bible College, and she came to Exchange, and we loved having her here. Um, and so she's come back. Isn't that amazing? Somebody who comes back to Belfast and wants to come and, and visit with us and see us. So we're delighted that you're here, Elin. So please make sure you say hello to her at the end. Um, we also have Samuel's family are over from England. They've brought the sunshine. So you are very welcome. Please don't go soon. If you've brought the sun, we don't want you to go back home. We want, we want to keep the sun. Um, so and anybody else, if you're visiting with us, you are super welcome. So um, please, you know, come and chat to us at the end because um, we love to have visitors, but we love to have our family as well. And so great to see so many people because this is traditionally one of our quiet mornings when um, maybe a lot of people have escaped from... Uh, Northern Ireland, escaped isn't the right word. I didn't mean, I'm thinking of escape to the sun. I didn't kind of mean it that way. But uh, Andrew and I traditionally aren't normally here, are we? I don't know what happened this year. But um, yes, we're just, but actually, if I look, this is me, this is the first time I'm wearing my new glasses. Okay. Do you like them? <laughs> we have a bit of a joke in our house around glasses because every time Andrew gets new glasses, he says, What do you think of them? And it takes me a few days to get used to them. And I always say, Well, you look like your Uncle Philip. <laughs> late Uncle Philip now, but I did, but I just, so anyway, so I got my new glasses, and I said, what do you think? He went, oh, you look like my Uncle Philip, so <laughs> he, was, he was just getting his own back, but there, these very focals, apparently this happens to you when you get older, um, but anyway, so apparently, because so, what, what used to happen when I spoke was, if I could put my glasses on, I could read my notes, but then I couldn't see anybody, so the idea with very focals is, I can read my notes, and I can see everybody, but the problem is, you're supposed to practice, but I only got these on Thursday, then we were going to the caravan at the weekend, and I didn't want to break them, so this is actually the first time I've had them on. <laughs> but so we'll see how it goes. So if my talk's a disaster, just, play, just go, she, didn't, she couldn't read her notes. Bless her, she was wearing those glasses. Blame Uncle Philip, that's it, yes. So we're actually, we were away last weekend celebrating my dad's 80th birthday, which was lovely. It was great to be with him, and there was lots of surprises planned, so I was actually just relieved when the whole thing was over, because it was just too hard, keeping different people in the loop and out of the loop, and trying to keep things from my mom and my dad, and oh my goodness, and then my brother got stuck in traffic for two hours, and he was running late, and then Ben announced just a few days before we were going that he had to be back on Sunday morning at 4 a.m. because he was doing a job somewhere, so we had to get him a flight back early, so it was just like, oh my goodness, so it all went well, but it, the funny thing was, I was seeing some relatives that I hadn't seen for about 10 years, and it, we were arranging to meet in this restaurant, and they were going to get there beforehand, and then Andrew dropped me over with the kids, and then he was going back to collect my mom and dad, and so different things were going on. So I'm walking through this restaurant, and I actually walked past them, because I didn't recognize them. Like, they were sort of tucked in, but, um, but one of them I just didn't recognize, and he was on the end, so I kind of like walked past, and then went, oh, because they changed. Like, 10 years is quite a while, isn't it? So, so they had changed. And then I was starting to, I was saying this to Andrew recently, like, I unfortunately had to go to a funeral of one of my friends' mom died, and, and I'd seen people that I hadn't seen for maybe 10 or 15 years. And again, the same thing happened. Somebody came up to me 
saying, oh, Penny, it's lovely to see you. And I had that moment of, I know your face, but I can't remember your name. You know, when it's just gone. I was like, oh, my goodness. And they changed as well. So I was trying to, like, place who they were. And I came to Andrew and said, everyone's looking so much older. <laughs> and then I had the moment of realization of, and so are you, Penny. <laughs> and they might be going, who's that girl, Flip? But you know that thing of we're all changing? And when you're a child, you know that when relatives haven't seen you for a while, they always say, oh, haven't you grown? You know, and the kids are like going, oh, seriously. And then I was thinking as an adult, if they say that to you, haven't you grown? It's normally in the wrong direction, isn't it? So it's not kind of the thing that you should say. Um, I had that recently. Do you remember, Andrew? There was somebody we hadn't seen for a while, and they're going, oh, you've really changed. And I was like, I've definitely put weight on, but listen, don't worry about it. But the thing is, often when we think about things changing and getting older, it's that sense of the negative, doesn't it? We go, oh gosh, my mom was saying, oh. normally when I see her and I haven't seen her for, normally it's like a few months, um, we have the first five minutes of, oh Penny, I don't know what the world's coming to. It's all doom and gloom. And she literally does this every time. Mom, I'm like, for goodness sake, mom, she watches too much of the news. Oh gosh, you know, and she said, do you know what? The world's against old people now. The world is against old people. See your dad and I. We were trying to park, but you see the, the car parks now? You need an app. You need one of those apps. And there's no, we actually, there's nowhere we can park anymore because your dad doesn't have that app that you need to go park in. And she said, the world's just against old people. And I was thinking, you know, I actually thought, I actually don't have that app. <laughs> Maybe I am really old. Um, but there's this sense, isn't it, that things change and often we kind of get a little bit anxious or a bit... You know, well, we've got different approaches, haven't we, towards change. Some change we like, some change we don't like as much. Some people are going to hold on to that Nokia phone for the next 10 years until they can't, you know, find anywhere, any more charges left for it. But, you, you know, Andrew and I, you know, we have a business and we help organizations prepare people for change because generally people don't like it that much. We kind of like what we like and what we know we're comfortable with what we know. And so if you're in the business world, you'll hear lots of the buzzwords at the minute, which like you need to be agile, you need to be able to pivot, you need to be able to flex. And it's all these things, all these words to do with movement. So actually, if we're going in one way, we've got to be prepared at any stage that we maybe need to turn and go in a different direction or just change according to what's happening. And I just wanted to think for you guys, you know, where are you at when it comes to change? You know, how do you approach change? Do you have that sense of, Oh, gosh, remember in the good old days? Because sometimes we can do it even in our Christian walks, can't we? Of like, you know, when I was first saved, it was like this. And, you know, I remember the days when it was like that, and when church first started. Or we can look back to times when things were maybe easier or better or different. And then sometimes when things are new or when we're having to move in a new direction, we can resist it a bit. And I was thinking, because we're going to be looking over the summer at the book of Acts. And if you think about the disciples... And you think about the journey that they went on. Flip, did they have to come to terms with change? Have you ever stopped to think about it? Like, I, it took me, it just it kind of stopped me in my tracks for a second because I thought, oh my word, like how much change did they have to navigate themselves through? Because even the fact that they were disciples of Christ meant through, they had gone through a huge change. They had left what their tradition was. They'd left what their kind of culture was. And they had laid down for most of them, they laid down, you know, being with families, they laid down their jobs, and they'd moved in a completely different direction. They'd left the culture, they'd left that tradition, they'd chosen to follow Jesus, they'd left loads of stuff behind, and they'd gone in a completely new direction. And they dared to believe 
that this man and the words that he said were true. And they'd gone on this, like, almost crazy adventure in some sense, hadn't they? And, you know, they saw some incredible things happen. And at, at times it was pretty scary too, wasn't it? You know, not everybody loved Jesus, as we know, because he was crucified. But there was a lot of people against him. There was one time when they wanted to push him off the edge of a hill. It was like, you know, pretty traumatic. There was another time when the disciples like, were saying, we don't want to go near Samaria because flip, nobody likes us over there. You know, so there was a lot of times when they were living life a bit on the edge. They weren't quite sure what was going to happen. But they saw some amazing miracles. They saw signs and wonders. They experienced who he was. And so if you can think, they left everything behind and they entered on this journey with Jesus. What do you think they, th- they were picturing for the next stage? You know, they, they saw Jesus move from one place to another and they saw more and more miracles. They saw people being healed, people flocking to him. They saw that people, there were a number of people that were against him and that was kind of, you know, growing at times. But what do you think they were imagining for their future? Because they probably were not expecting it to end up the way that it did. I'm sure when they were, were walking with Jesus, they were not thinking that we're journeying towards a cross and there's going to be a death and there's going to be loss. That's not what would have been pictured, because they would have been pictured in the future. We all do it. But they had this like complete roller coaster to go through because they had this incredible, you know, excitement of a savior and you know, an understanding that they needed to this man to, to redeem their life. And then they had that horrific death they had to see that this man that they put all their hopes into die before their eyes and then suddenly death is defeated and he and he rises again and they're like oh my goodness you know it's we can't really comprehend it can we we know the story we can't comprehend what they would have felt how they would have you know, journeyed through all of that and everything that they have seen and, and experienced and heard and then suddenly things change again because if we look at the book of Acts, it's like, oh my goodness, this group of people, they were now called to carry the word of Jesus, this life of Jesus, and this story, because it wasn't over. Suddenly, they were the continuation. It was almost like, right, now it's over to you guys. They were no longer on the sidelines watching what was happening. They weren't spectators anymore. They were the ones. They weren't the support act you know, like it's Jesus and then he's got his followers and his disciples that kind of help him. They're actually being called to take center stage. Not that it was about them, but it was about Jesus working through them. And it says, you know, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth in Acts 1.8. Okay. And the amazing thing about that is that we're the continuation of that. But that didn't just happen. And that was, you know, what the disciples did, but actually that's the commission now for us. And like Stephen was talking about last week, about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit came upon um, the disciples, we don't need to feel anxious about this commission because we don't do this in our strength. You know, it says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's what we're excited about. And just going through Acts again, we want you guys, we want us all to get excited again about the power of Jesus living on the inside of us, about the fact that we are not ordinary people. We are called to a new type of life. And sometimes life can just take its toll on us, can't it? Sometimes we can have knocks in life. We can have challenges. Things can come against us. And we can forget who we really are and whose we really are and what we're called for. And I think as a, as a church, you know, um, during lockdown, obviously we went through a 
period where there was so much change imposed on us on the outside, wasn't it? Everything changed. Life changed. Life as we knew it changed. Church was very different. It was like a few of us in a room speaking to a camera. It was strange. But things changed, and, and God used that time. And even in that time, we saw our reach grow. And a few, it was only like what, six weeks ago, we had Tom Knight, remember, and his family over here. And that was because through lockdown, he connected with us on a, on a personal level. He'd been listening to the church for years, but connected. And he actually brought his family, if you, some of you guys won't know, all the way from America. It was like, we're coming to Belfast. Going, really? You know, have you seen the weather? Do you know what this is like? But they came all the way from America just to be in the room and, and to, to worship with us. And, and he runs a church out in Indiana. And Tom, you might be listening this morning. So if you are, you're super welcome. But we had such an incredible time with those guys and just recognizing that, you know, the church is a family. The church is a body across the world. And we're here to encourage and support each other. And this power that was, is within us, you know, it's the Holy Spirit in Tom when he came over was encouraging us. He was, um, you know, encouraging people here. And we were able to encourage him as well and pray for his ministry and their church. And so that was an incredible thing that through lockdown, those good things came out. But I think as a church, it's time again for us to look up and go, what, what is it, Lord, that you're doing now? What is it you're calling us to? And I think it's recognizing, you know, God doesn't have a plan B. Have you ever thought about that? Like, you know, he's called you. He's called each one of us. It's not like, well, maybe when I was a bit younger or, you know, maybe, well, I did try that in the past. Well, you know, there was things that I stepped out in, but I didn't always see what I wanted to see that's okay, you know, because God is a God of the second chance. He's the God who, no matter where we feel we've maybe gone off course at times or where we feel we've fallen or whatever, you know, life has come at us with, it's okay because God is always singing a new song. He's always speaking life and truth and love over us, and he's always calling us up to what he created us for. And I believe that as a community, that's what we're called to do with each other, to call each other up to what he's created us for. Because sometimes we can't see it in, each other, in ourselves, can we? And that's why we're needed as a body. That's why the body is so important. Don't ever give up on being in church. Because that's why we're here. We're here to say, do you know what God's put in you? I see it in you. I believe it in you. You know, believe again. And I, just what, that's probably what I want this morning I was calling this talk, this talk Simply Believe because it is simple and yet we make it so hard because we make it about ourselves. But it's his power working through us. But you know, the disciples, they had to step out. Suddenly they were launched into, you've got to go out into all the world. And Jesus, I'm away back to be with the Father, but your spirit, this is better because my spirit is in you. So I want you to re read this passage with me. It's in Acts 3. And I absolutely love this passage. So it's a big long one. I'm going to take a wee drink. It's fresh water, isn't it, Andrew? This is where he can get his own back. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so it says, I'll read it from the back. This is Antesma glasses. <laughs> it's up on the back wall. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. 
So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. (laughs) Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking them by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Isn't that an amazing passage? Like, there's so much there that, you know, we can't really just, it's one of those things where, for me, I have to read that over and over and over again, because what an outcome. You know, what a blessing for that man, his life's transformed, for the community, because people carried him every day. It didn't just affect him, that disability, it affected his family, it affected his friends. For the disciples who saw Jesus working through them, who saw that power changing and transforming someone's life, who suddenly believed we can make a difference when we see pain and suffering, we can be used by God. And then for throughout church history, for us today, that we can read these words and have hope in our hearts that God has a better way for us. Totally inspires me about how God can use us. For me, it's like we can lift up our eyes again because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to impact. He wants to impact our lives, first of all. Because it's not about what we have to do for God. It's about us knowing how loved we are. He wants us to be impacted by his love The fact for that guy, he knew him and he wanted his life to be transformed. And he wants to impact your family. He doesn't just want this for you. He wants to see your family changed. He wants to see your community changed. He wants to see countries changed with the good news of Jesus' grace and his power to heal. So I want to go through the story because for me, as I read it, like I said, there was like so much in it. So I want to go through it bit by bit, and dissect it so that you, so that we can all get out of it what's in there, okay? Because, you know, what do we learn? It's Jesus, it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. And when I'm thinking about this, I was recognizing that, you know, this is something that they did. It wasn't um, that this was just a one-off thing. If you can just put that verse up. Oh, actually, I didn't put that one on. It's like, they were good. The fact that it says they were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, it was put in the imperfect tense. So it meant they were, they were how do I say this? It was something that they did habitually. So it was something that they would have done every day. And it wasn't something that they were doing because they had to do it. Because remember, they were suddenly, they were free from the law. They had received Jesus. They were no longer doing the religious traditions because you have to go to the temple every day. But they were gathering to pray because they knew that when they prayed together, they were communing with the Lord. They were communing with Jesus. And this wasn't about obligation. This was because they knew they were loved and they were devoted to Jesus. And they no longer felt that they had to. They realized that they get to pray. Guys, when we gather before the church, before church on a Sunday morning, we do have a prayer meeting here. I don't want anyone to be there because they feel they have to. But you get to pray together. That's sometimes my, the most exciting time of church. Not saying that the rest isn't exciting, but to gather together to pray with other people. It's powerful. And I love these little details because look at the time that they were going. 
It said that it was at three in the afternoon. Now, nothing's ever by accident in the Bible, is it? Nothing's ever by chance. And if you think, what was so significant about three in the afternoon? Only a short time earlier, at three in the afternoon, was when Jesus drew his last breath and said, it is finished. Isn't that incredible? Remember, he hung on the cross for those hours, and it was at that ultimate sacrifice. It was at three in the afternoon. And there's the picture this. There are still Jews in the temple, still gathering to pray, still going through all of the um, obligations, carrying out those sacrifices to try and atone for their sins. And actually, it was done. It was finished. And here were the disciples walking in the freedom of what Jesus had done. And now let's see what life comes from what they're doing. And for me, that's incredible. It's like when Jesus declared it was finished, it was done. And now at three o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to see the freedom and the life that's going to come from that sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? Suddenly, the truth of who Jesus is is going to be revealed. So let's read the next bit. It says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. Now, can you, I can't quite understand what it would be like for this man. You know, for most of us, we might think at times like it's Groundhog Day, going through the same things. You get up, for my kids, it's like go to school. Most of us, it's get to work on time. Whatever it is, we maybe need to do. But there can be like a monotony at times in life, can't it? Where we get up, we do the same thing, we go to bed, day gone. But actually, for this guy, it's hard to even begin to picture what it would have been like carried to the temple gate every day, sitting, waiting for people to have pity on him, to show mercy. And even the fact that he's brought to the gate called Beautiful, like, you know, he wouldn't have had a lot of love and care, but probably in the Jewish tradition, they wouldn't have, you know, that legalistic culture, they would have probably seen at times, that, you know, it's probably because of his sin that he's like this. They wouldn't have shown that much mercy to him. And yet he chooses, he asks to be brought there. It's as if something inside him is going, he's still believing that God can deliver him or that, that God can do something, even where religion hasn't welcomed him. And when he sees Peter and John, it says he calls out to them and he's, he's looking for money, isn't he? He's looking because that's the only thing that he feels they can help him with. And, you know, it's... It's the fact that he's just treating them the same as he's treating everybody else. Anybody who's walking past, he's probably just hoping they're going to give him some money. He's seeing them as ordinary. He doesn't kind of go, oh, there's Peter and John. Like, I better ask them, hey, you guys come over. I think you can do something for me. He just sees them as ordinary people just walking past him, going to the temple. And it made me think, how often do we see ourselves as ordinary? How often do we walk past people or maybe see people in difficult situations, and yet we don't recognize the power of Jesus living in us. Do we forget who we truly are and what he's done in us and what he wants to do through us? Because we're not ordinary people. We've been crucified with Christ. We've been raised and seated in heavenly places. We have the power of Jesus living on the inside of us. And yet there's times I'm not seeing myself like that. I'm not believing that. There's times when I'm confronted with sickness or, you know, difficult situations and I'm not believing 
that Jesus can use me to be the answer. Jesus can work through me to bring healing or restoration or help. But Peter and John, they, they didn't just go to this man and give him what he thought he needed. Because, you know, often people don't know what they really need. Have you thought about this? Often people can see their problem and they can think that they can see the answer to it. And for some people, they might think, well, I need a better education because that's what's going to give me a break in life. Some people might think, you know, I just need a breakthrough in my business and then everything would be better. Some people might think, well, I just need a new medication, a new drug to manage this sickness or a different type of therapy. Whatever it might be, people at times might think they know what they need. But actually, Jesus is never about a temporary fix, is he? Jesus is going to bring that true fix, that true restoration. It's not going to be temporarily solving the problem. It's always going to be he goes to the root. And you know, I love the way Peter and John respond to the man. Because it says, Peter looks straight at him, as did John. You thought about that? How do you respond at times when somebody with a need comes to you? Particularly like, you know, even sometimes people begging in the street. Most of the time I feel awkward. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we look away, don't we? Because we're not really sure what we can do. We maybe feel embarrassed because we don't like the fact that they're in that position, but we don't really know how we can change it. But they look straight at him. They don't respond with fear. They're not awkward or afraid. They don't pass by and they don't make excuses. In fact, they look at him intently and they give him their full attention. And I love that because it, it challenged me because there's times I know that I can make excuses and think, I don't have what they need. I, I've, not, I, I've not got enough resource in me to fix this. But sometimes we just overcomplicate things. And look at what Peter says. He says, look at us. Look at us. I, I laughed when, when I looked at this because I was thinking, I used to teach P1 a long, long time ago. And uh, I had this saying with the kids because you, you just know with kids, if they're not looking at you, they're definitely not listening to you. So I would have told the P1s, look, if your eyes are not looking at me, then your ears are not working. I, and actually, the, you know, P1, the amazing thing about P1 is they believe everything you say. They literally just... So then so I got in trouble with some of the mums because um, one of them came and said, oh, Mrs. Too Good, I wish you hadn't said that to our David because I can't do anything in the house anymore because all he says is, Mommy, if your eyes are not looking at me, <laughs> your ears are not listening. <laughs> but, um, and I think I used to try it with Andrew too, but I don't think that ever went down very well. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> You're not listening. But it made me think, how many of us need to look afresh at Jesus? You know, to really look again at who he is, at what he's done for us. Because too often we can just, there's a lot of stuff that we know. But how often are we really communing with the one who gave it all for us, who's poured his whole life into us? How often are we looking at him? So that actually we are so overwhelmed with his greatness that whatever problem that's in front of us is becoming smaller because he's magnified and he's glorified. And what I think I see here is that those disciples, even though they were going every day to the temple to pray, and even though that man was being brought every day to sit at the, the gate called Beautiful, the Holy Spirit did something that day that prompted them to notice and that they looked and they saw 
And it could be that the Holy Spirit was prompting them other days and maybe they didn't notice, you know? Or it could be that that man called out at that instant. We don't know all those details, but there was something when the Holy Spirit prompted them that they acted and that they looked at that man and they had confidence that that man, that Jesus was going to move through them. So they said to look at him, okay? And the word that they used, it was called, it's bellipo. I haven't said that right probably in the Greek, but it means see us, really look at us. And it says, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now you see, the man is suddenly expectant, so hope's rising in his heart. And what do you think he's expecting when they're saying, look at us? He's probably thinking, they're going to give me something. They've noticed me. They're actually going to give me something. But I love this next thing because it's, it's so straightforward. Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, what I do have, I give to you. Silver or gold I don't have. And the first thing the man must have thought was, oh, great, seriously, I'm looking at you. Is this all you? And you don't have what I want. You don't have the thing that I need and you're telling me to look at you. But, Jesus, but Peter says, what I do have, I give to you. Isn't that amazing what, you, what I do have? It's again, what do we have? What do we actually already have? Sometimes we're not even realizing we have it. I have to confess something here. Things often get lost in our house. And uh, Andrew now, the, the kids just ask, Mom, where's this? Where's that? Or you've lost my, or who moved my, or all of those things that happen. Um, Andrew has a different tactic now because he normally knows that it is where it needs to be. He just hasn't looked properly. So he'll go, uh, is that shirt in the wardrobe? Or have you seen my shirt? And I'll say, oh, no, it's, it's in the wardrobe. It, it's not there. It is there. No, it's not. It definitely is. <laughs> I, d- I have really looked this time. <laughs> he now qualifies it. But I did really look. I didn't just do the normal look. I go, no, it really, really is there. Do you want me to come find it? And then he has that, like, do I want to look stupid here, or am I really determined that it isn't in the wardrobe? <laughs> so then we have a wee nosy, and it normally is there. But this morning, I was doing the, I said to you, didn't I make sure you leave those keys out, because I'm going to church first, and then I couldn't find the keys. And Andrew's in the shower, so I was like, Andrew, do you have the keys? Bang on the door. Where's the keys? Where's the keys? Go on here. Anyway, so we're wandering around the house, the kids are looking, mom can't find the keys. I'm getting really frustrated because seriously, I told him I needed the keys. And then I found them in my own handbag. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was being so planned that I'd already put them in my bag, knowing that I would need them. And then forgot how planned I was, so sorry about that. But it, do you know what made me think? We, we've already got it, haven't we? We already have it. And sometimes we're looking for stuff. We're wanting God to do more but we've already got it. We already have his spirit within us. And then Peter and John, they have what this man needs and they're going to give it to the man. He says, but what I do have, I give to you. It's not what you think you need. It's not what you're looking for, but it's what you truly need. And so what do they say? They simply command, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And Peter and John simply believed put their faith in Jesus, they didn't stop and think, am I qualified to do this? Do I know everything? 
They didn't ask the man, well, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he can heal you? They didn't take time to think about, flip, what's everybody going to think about this? How are people going to respond? They didn't look and think, do we need maybe more disciples to come and help us? We'll get the ministry team around. We'll get the person who always prays and sees results. They just stepped out, didn't they? They simply believed, and it was uncomplicated. And that challenged me because, you know, I thought, Lord, how often am I listening enough to your spirit? How often am I prepared to step out, even if I don't always see results? Even if I never see results, am I still going to believe in your goodness? Am I going to keep believing and running the race? Because the truth is in your word that you want to heal, that you want to restore, that you want to lift people out of bondage, and that you want to set them on a, to a life of, of victory in you. And this next part of the passage, it says, taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I love this. They helped the man to his feet. They take him by the right hand. And you know, even those, those details are significant. You know, to take somebody by the right hand, it was the sense of treating the man as an equal. He was reaching out to this man who'd been on the ground all his life, begging, and he was lifting him up again. And if you look at the word here, it's actually egaro, and that it means raised him up. And it's the same word that's used to describe resurrection. It's literally bringing someone back to life. When he held out his hand, he brought the man back to life. And it's Peter showing this man the resurrection power of Jesus, bringing him out of death, out of bondage, into new life. He's restored physically, but he's also encountering the power of the living God and the life of Jesus, and he's not ever going to be the same again. And Jesus, you know, what I love about Peter is that he put faith into his words because, you know, it didn't say that he just spoke and the man jumped up. It says that he held out his hands and at that point, the man's ankles became strong and his feet became strong. And it's almost like they come into agreement together. He held out his hand and the man and his ankles um, became strong and then he, he stood to, again. And I sometimes think that with healing, we can get ourselves tied up in knots about what it should look like and people can try and follow formulas and quote certain things. But actually, I think at times we've just got to step out in faith and speak the word and believe that the Lord's going to use us. And then it says, look at what happened. They went into the temple courts. Man, he was walking and jumping and praising God. And one of the amazing things is, what's the very first thing that he did? He didn't run and tell his family. They might have been a bit annoyed, actually. <laughs> they might have been like, seriously? Would you not come and tell us? But the first thing he wanted to do was go into the temple. Think of this man had been excluded. He'd been on the outside. He'd always been sitting on the outside watching other people go in. And suddenly he could go and join. And he could be part of something where he'd felt alienated. And he wanted to be together with this new group of people, this community of faith. And what is he doing? He's walking and he's leaping. He's recognizing that he's been restored into a new life. He's not stumbling along. God has 
put this man, set this man on his feet again. And he's praising God. You know, he recognizes that there's no other reason for this apart from Jesus and what he's done. And for me, there was so much in this. There's so much more about him just being healed on the outside. He got his dignity restored again. He was no longer being looked down on by the people just passed by, just ignored. Jesus restores people's dignity. Healing doesn't just, it's just not the outside, it's on the inside. And for everyone here today, that's Jesus is constantly stretching out his hand to you to restore you to your dignity, for you to know that you are worthy, that you are valuable, that you are precious. You know, that right hand of friendship was offered. He was restored. He was lifted up. He was given that hand of friendship, and he was treated as an equal. And I love that that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives and through us to other people, to people around us. So think about it today. What I do have, I give to you. Because Jesus wants us to be that hand to people around us so that we can lift other people out of brokenness and despair and we can help people find freedom and life, being healed from pains, both physical pain and emotional pain. And what's going to happen when we see this? People are going to praise God. People are going to enter into a life of praise and thanks. And there's going to be a transformation that doesn't just affect individuals, but it affects families and it affects entire communities. And, you know, for me, I love seeing lives transformed and I love seeing people's lives changed. And I had the privilege this week of being at Kyle and Louise's wedding. I hope you don't mind me mention this. Um, sorry, I didn't ask, but hopefully it's okay. But to me, that was such an incredible testimony as well of the journey that they've been on. And Kyle, for you, that journey that you've been on and your life being transformed by grace. And it was just so beautiful to see what God can do in people's lives and to see when grace comes in and love comes in, how somebody can be totally transformed and totally renewed and given hope for a future. And to be honest, I think it was one of the most Christ-centered weddings I'd ever been at. It was absolutely beautiful. It was the most incredible service. And I think even we were away before the end of the party, but I think even your party entertainers were praying over your heart. It was just phenomenal. It was a phenomenal wedding where Jesus was being glorified because of what he had done in two people's lives and in what somebody's life could have looked like and what it looks like now. And that's what Jesus wants to do to so many more people. There's so many people who are walking in bondage. There's so many people walking in darkness. There's so many people with you know, disabilities in all different ways that are being held back. And Jesus is wanting us to give away what he's given to us. What I have, what we do have, I give to you. So that's probably my not challenge, but just how I want to encourage you guys this week. Whoever you're meeting with, whatever people are coming across your path, it's recognizing that God's putting you there for a reason, okay? And he wants to see lives transformed, just like seeing that wedding last week. I was thinking, Lord, this is so exciting to see strong marriages, just have strong families. Sometimes we don't even recognize what God's done in us. Sometimes we don't even see how far he's brought us, but it's for all of us to look back and go, Lord, you have been so good. You have been so faithful. There is so much in me that I can do to be a blessing to others. 
so many lessons that I can impart. Whatever st- I was thinking about this even recently, you know, whatever stage of life you're at, some of us might not like the fact that life's changing and we're getting older, but there's a lot that God's done in us that we can now impart to the new generation coming through. A lot of lessons learned and testimonies to share. And when I said at the start, look, simply believe, simply believe in what God's done in you. I love, I was been reading the book by Sandra McCollum. You know, Sandra was here a few months ago. She was a phenomenal speaker and she's just an amazing lady. Andrew and I got to chat a little bit with her at the end of the service and we've kept in touch a bit. And I was reading in her book and she said, we're going to spend our mental energy on either believing or doubting. And we're going to be much happier if we spend it on believing. Isn't that awesome? I love that. You're going to spend your mental energy somehow. You're going to either believe or you're going to doubt. I know which one I want to choose. Amen. Amen. All right. Adam, you want to come up? Guys, wasn't that great? Give Penny another hand. That was great, actually. Thanks so much. Yeah. There's, there's, so many, there's so many layers to that passage. Do you know, it's a real challenge. You have life in your hands, folks. There, are, there is life in your hands when you stretch that out to someone, wherever they are, physically, whether that's emotionally. You have life in your hands. God has placed resurrection power in you to reach deep down into people's circumstances and to pull them up out of it. He does the work. He does the, you know, we we plant, we water, but God makes things grow. That's the truth. But who can you stretch out your hand to wherever you see them? There's life in your hands. Thank you, Lord. We're going to take communion. Just want to respond to this as well. So uh, your communion stuff is under your seats. Um, Yeah, we just stand. We're going to take it together. You know, in the same way, there's life in your hands. You can reach deep down into people's situations. As Penny said as well, Jesus gets to the root of the issue. He doesn't just temporarily fix something. So in the same way, it's a picture of what God can do through us. It is that picture of what he has done for you. He has stretched his hand deep down into the darkest moments of your life and the trajectory that your life was on. And he has pulled you up out of the darkness. He has set you free, set you on a rock that you're in a high place this morning. And you know, he gets to the root. So if if we take this, we say, thank you for your body, Jesus. But see if you take this and you think, oh yeah, God, you've covered over that sin and this sin and that behavior. You've missed the full picture. He has reached deep down into your very nature your very old identity, the way you used to see yourself, the way you used to judge yourself, the nature of you has dramatically changed, not just behavior. So we say, thank you, Jesus. You reach deep down, your body broken for me that I can live a dramatically changed life, a life in all of its fullness. We say, thank you for your body in Jesus' name. Thank you for your blood shed for us that we are now righteous in your sight. When he looks at you, he sees you as clean, holy, perfect, blameless, loved all of the time and ready to use you. So we receive everything you have in Jesus' name. Thank you.